the world has never had more problems. So the world, right, there's never been more problems to solve. And at the end of the day, that is what entrepreneurs do, is just solving problems, whether it's a small one or a big one. It doesn't really matter. That's what entrepreneurs do. That's what motivates someone to start a company to try and solve problems. Welcome to The Irresistible Factor, the podcast for brands in the health and wellness space who want to be irresistible, not only to consumers, but to investors and retailers. Here we talk to successful entrepreneurs about the inspiring stories that help them start and grow their awesome brands. And we also talk to investors, leaders in private equity, and retail buyers about what makes brands irresistible to them. Welcome everyone to today's episode of The Irresistible Factor. Today, I'm super excited to be talking to Gail Becker, who is the founder of Cauliflower, which is the number one cauliflower crust pizza, the number one gluten-free pizza, and has won all kinds of awards and accolades from an innovation standpoint. So welcome, Gail. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, well, thank you. Can you tell everyone a little bit about Cauliflower and how you decided to start that after a very unique career path? So I want you to talk about that too. Sure. Well, you know, if you would have told me as recently as five years ago that I'd be in the frozen food business, I probably wouldn't have believed you. Um, <laughs> and that's because I really had no experience in food prior to Cauliflower, other than I cooked it, bought it, and ate it. But I was a mom of two boys with celiac disease, and I they were diagnosed at such a young age that it gave me a really good perch from which to watch the gluten-free industry evolve. And what I began to see over the years was how much junk the industry was putting in gluten-free food. And, you know, clearly, like probably a lot of your listeners, I sort of thought, well, someone will surely do something about that. But uh, no one ever did. And so I think it's really fair to say that Collie Power was born out of a frustration of waiting. I happened to make it one night. I didn't invent it. There were about 569,000 recipes on the internet the day that I I found one. uh, I made it. It was all right. Not great. My son asked me about two weeks later if I was going to make it again. And I said, there's no way because it took 90 minutes to make a piece of crust. And, uh, but I'll find it for you. And I looked everywhere and I couldn't find it. And around the same time, I realized that, you know, I was really, you know, disenchanted with corporate America. I, I didn't really, I, I realized I didn't really want to be there anymore. Um, and my father had passed away. And I realized when, when he passed that something inside me changed and I just needed to do something more meaningful. So I, I put all of those things together and what I came out with was, I know I'm going to leave my job and start a company called Collie Power. And that's what I did back in May of 2016. Wow, that's brave. <laughs> brave is one word for it. Stupid is another word for it. But yes, now it's brave. Back at the time, it was stupid. But yes. <laughs> you feel, um, did it take you a lot long? Like you, it sounds like that was a whole quick series of things. But did it actually take you a lot of soul searching and time to figure out that you were ready to make the move and the leap and then decide what you were actually going to do from there? Yeah, it's such a good question. You know, I have been unhappy. I want to say unhappy, unfulfilled. For, for for a long time in, in in corporate life. And I knew I wanted to do something else, but like nothing really excited me. I didn't know, like, what was I going to do? Get another job, a similar job at another company or what have you like that? That wasn't, just didn't know how to fill it. Yeah. 
Yeah. And it was really, I, I really, it was really the passing of my father. I, I feel pretty convinced that if he hadn't sort of, you know, left and left me with this desire to follow in his entrepreneurial footsteps and to honor him in some way, I really don't think Collie Power would be. And so um, it was really this unique convergence of sort of all of these elements coming to life and me realizing, you know what, what the heck am I waiting for? And, and thus I, I made the leap. So that's interesting because I was wondering where your entrepreneurial spirit came from, because mostly, although I have talked to some people who have left corporate America, um, mostly that's not how it happens. People are serial entrepreneurs and they start a brand and then they start another brand and it might not be in the same category. Like I've had a lot of people that leave tech and go to food, but not necessarily leave corporate America and go to start up land because we all know that's a very, very hard place to be. I think you know, it's the timing of us talking is really interesting because you had something happen to you five years ago that caused you to have those thoughts and reevaluate. And I think so many people coming out of last year have had the same exact feelings. Like, what am I doing? Really? I couldn't agree more with you. And, and, you know, because what did the pandemic teach us? It really taught us the fragility of life. Yes. And that if you are not, you know, enjoying what you do and how you spend the majority of your time, you better try something else. And uh, because we don't know what's going to be around tomorrow. That's right. And so, so I found that I think you're spot on that, you know, people are finally listening to that voice inside their head and saying, and sort of redefining what happiness looks like and fulfillment and satisfaction. It's not about the money. I always say I'm like half is half is rich and twice as happy, but it's more sort of, you know, living your true purpose, which sometimes takes a life event to, to recognize. Um, and I, and I actually think that the pandemic or this time following the pandemic is a wonderful time to start the, to start a business because the world has never had more problems. So the world, right, there's never been more problems to solve. And at the end of the day, that is what entrepreneurs do is just solving problems, whether it's a small one or a big one. It doesn't really matter. That's that's what entrepreneurs do. That's what motivates someone to start a company to try and solve a problem. Yeah, I think that's interesting. I have not heard that put that way yet. And I love it. And I want to just pause for a second and say it again, like solving a problem is the point of being an entrepreneur. and. I couldn't agree more. We have more problems now than, than <laughs> people Lots to of stuff to fix. Exactly. Lots of stuff to fix. So can you talk about your experience from the time you decided to start this brand and to now? Like what's your path been like and your level of comfort and discomfort and challenges? The big so question. funny because I have probably been uncomfortable in some form or another every day since I started calling power. And I think that's what I was looking for because to be perfectly honest with you, I was a bit too comfortable in my old life. And I think that's what ultimately led to my, you know, unfulfillment and my desire to be challenged and to learn something new every day. I always tell people, if you don't learn something new every day, you need to find a new job. So, you know, for me, I really needed to be uncomfortable. And boy, am I ever. 
Um, and, uh, and that's okay. Cause, um, every day, every day since the beginning of Kali power, something wrong has happened every single day. Sometimes it's a tiny thing. Sometimes it's a big thing. Sometimes it's a medium sized thing. Sometimes it's a huge thing, but there's always something. So it's not that the Kali power journey has been a roller coaster. It's that every day is a roller coaster. It's exciting, it's exhilarating, it's heart-wrenching, it's curl-raising, it's, um, it's everything you could possibly imagine. It's sort of emotions to the nth degree. Yeah. When the highs are so high and the lows are so low. But I'll tell you this, when I worked in corporate life, when I went to bed on Sunday night, I dreaded getting up Monday morning. I really dreaded it especially toward the end. When I, when it's Sunday night now, I'm excited. Now I can't speak for the rest of my staff. I'm sure they probably cringe every time they hear me say that, but I'm excited to go to bed on Sunday night because I'm excited for what we can achieve together on Monday. That to me is, is the difference. So tell me about some of the lows. (sighs) Making stuff is hard. Yeah. Making stuff is hard. There's just so many challenges that arise in the process of making stuff at every step of the journey. Things that are completely beyond your control, but you have to manage that. And I think because, you know, just to take a step back for a minute, food, while I haven't worked in food before Calling Power, Food always had a very special place in my life because of my parents. My parents were children of war. Uh, They never had food. Food, Even if we couldn't afford anything else, food would always be on the table. And my mother would always take up the leftovers and, you know, put it in the freezer, which I think she'd be smiling right now if she knew, like, oh, I'm in the frozen food business, probably because of her. But I say that because I take a huge responsibility for being at people's dinner table or lunch table or breakfast table or serving it to your kids. That's a huge responsibility. We are part of the family experience or the individual experience on a daily basis. I take that so seriously that if something is not right, we work very hard to fix it. So, you know, the pandemic, I think would probably put a fine point on that trying to get food from point A to point B in the middle of a pandemic was extraordinary, you know, even making front page news. But the good thing about it is I think people finally understand, you know, the value of food, how, what, how precious it is, right? And, and how hard it can be to find and how much we have to value either the food itself or the sharing experience. But I, I mean, I've had every bad thing you can happen. I've had, you know, trucks stranded in the middle of a frozen highway for my very first order to Whole Foods. I've had, you know, I couldn't get into Walmart initially because I was a new business and I didn't have a high enough credit score. I mean, you name it. Like there's always, always something. So from a growth perspective, how, where are you guys now? You're, you're in retail ev- across the country. Yes, we're in about 30,000 stores the country, uh, every state, every city in the country. We're also in about 5,000 restaurants. 
Uh, although obviously our retail footprint is much bigger and we are innovating constantly. We have new products all of the time. We just released our pasta, which is very exciting and is in several, about a thousand stories now and rolling out to close to 15,000 within the next couple months. So we're continuously innovating and bringing new products to market and, and it's pretty great. How long did it take you to decide to start expanding what you offered versus really making sure that what you initially offered was successful? It's such a good question. And to be honest with you, I waited and I waited until we had the permission. I mean, I'd love to sit and tell you that I had planned. Well, you know, when I started with the four pizza skews, I knew that we would grow to this large portfolio. I, there's no way I did. Yeah. I thought, oh, you know, it's going to be a small business. We'll have some pizza and, you know, that's, uh, surprise. Uh, but, um, but I waited and I waited for two keys for the permission of two key stakeholders. One is the retailers, right? So I needed buy-in from the retailers. I, I needed to hear from the retailers. We want more from you. Yeah. And they did very quickly, which was great because we were bringing a new consumer into the frozen aisle. And that was wonderful. And they kept saying, what do you have next? What do you have next? And then also our consumers, right? So the consumers kept saying to us, what are you going to call powerize next? What are you going to, what's going to be the next pizza? What can you do next? And they send me ideas. They said, I mean, it's, it's amazing what we hear from our consumers and how much they are pulling for our success. Yeah. And, and that's that to me, as someone who worked in brands for many years, that's extraordinary. Extraordinary. It really and, and I take that very, it's a, it's a privilege, to be honest with you. Yeah, that's cool. That's amazing. How did you get yourself into retail? That's one of the biggest challenges for a brand, especially right now when retail is struggling so much. So how did oh, you- Oh, my goodness. Well, so if, you, if there's anyone listening that um, is interested in going into food, Whole Foods has this program where if you live in the area, in a particular Whole Foods region, you can pitch your product to that region. Okay, so I live in, in Los Angeles, which is called the SOPAC region. So basically, I took my four samples of the, of the pizza, which were very expensive because I had to make them before I could sell them. And I put them in a little styrofoam container and I drove them over to the Whole Foods headquarters and I, I left them with the receptionist. I couldn't get a meeting. I tried. I couldn't get a meeting. She said, just leave them here, which is kind of like dropping your child off at a daycare. I'm like, do you know what's in these boxes? Like my life is in the container, right? So, uh, and so I did. And then about a week, eight, ten, a week to 10 days later, I still remember exactly where I was when I received your email. She said, we tried the product. We love it. We're going to bring you into 30 Whole Foods stores. Wow. That was an email? It was an email. Oh. And I happened to be in Washington, D.C. for something. And I was in a Starbucks at the time. And I just remember standing there, looking at my phone, looking around at a very crowded Starbucks. And I just wanted to shout, lattes are on me. Like, I was so excited. But uh, I didn't because uh, I didn't have any money to buy the lattes. But um, it, was, uh, it was one of those moments that you never forget. And I remember thinking, huh, maybe this could be something. Wow. 
That's so it was, cool. It was, a, it, was a, it was a life moment to be sure. Yes, that's a good moment. And how did you um, at some point or even at the beginning, did you have to bring in outside capital or did you guys sort of bootstrap? Yes, yes, and yes. So I self-funded the business my, when my father passed away. He left me a little bit of money, certainly not a lot, uh, not enough to, you know, have an island anywhere, but um, just enough. So I took every last cent and I put it into Polycar. And I, you know, I, I took, I took a lot of my savings. I, I sold clothes. I did everything to, to scrape it together. And that lasted me. So we launched in February of 2017. That lasted me until September of 2017. So, and that's when I took on outside capital. Okay. And how did you go about that process? Was that hard? It was hard, Christy, because I had no idea what I was doing. I mean, forget about like starting a food business. I didn't know how to raise money. So I hired someone who did like a a group that, uh, you know, just helped you make introductions to people. I must have had 41 hour calls with 40 different groups over a month's time. And I pitched my little heart out and I got a, a great investor to believe in me and believe in the business and and say that they want to invest. Great. So that's cool. And and what has that let you do from a growth perspective? Well, we couldn't have grown, you know, without it for sure. I mean, you know, different products, at least I'll speak for the food space, different products take different amounts of cash to, you know, create. It's sort of one thing to make like a shelf, like a bag of chips or a bar to make a frozen pizza is hugely expensive. hugely expensive capacity is very limited Uh, I'm glad I didn't know any of this before I probably wouldn't have done it to be honest with you but and so you know the cash just allowed us to grow it it fueled our growth it allowed me to hire it allowed it was it was really just um you know working capital in order to make the pieces so do you think that your lack of knowledge helped you in a lot in some ways because in some ways you just kept going even when someone who knew what they were doing might have been like, I don't know. It's such a good question. I actually think, I think it helped because I didn't know what to be afraid of. Yeah, right. So like I had entered the most competitive space in the grocery store, which is the frozen aisle because it's so competitive because the space is so limited, right? I didn't know that. And then within the frozen aisle, frozen pizza, there was only multinational billion dollar corporations represented in that, in that glass door. I didn't know. And so in some ways I wasn't scared of what I didn't know because, you know, I I really had nothing to fear and, but I also had nothing to lose. Yes. I had the money to lose, of course, but I was already in it. So I felt like I was proving this to me and that's ultimately why I did it. You know, it's interesting that you chose of all the things you chose to go into Frozen because when you did, I mean, Frozen has come a long way in the past five years, but when you did, Frozen was on the on the, the decline and people were talking about the aisle shrinking and how nobody wanted to shop Frozen and, and there was no innovation and no healthy food there. And so being able to do what you did in that aisle, I think is incredible. Um, and 
I think it's turned. I mean, now there's a lot of positive chatter going on about Frozen, but there wasn't at the time that you jumped there in. There was not. There, 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 there was not. And I think that's part of why people thought I was crazy and why the retailers were so happy because they were finally getting other types of shoppers into the Frozen aisle, people who hadn't been there in quite some time. Yeah. But, you know, sort of as a corollary to your question, what I would say is, yes, I didn't know a lot. And yes, in many ways, it ended up being a benefit. But I also wasn't afraid to admit what I didn't know. And I think that is really key. Like I was, you know, I'm of a certain age, I was super comfortable with saying, hey, I know this, I don't know this, but I can hire people to help me. And that's ostensibly what I did. And I think sometimes, you know, founders have this misconception that they have to know everything because it's their company and their idea and their what have you. But it's it's actually not true. You need to be super comfortable with what you know, and then you know feel confident about hiring around you. And that's that's really what I did. Yeah. And how how many people do you have working for you now? Boy, what day is it? Uh, it's a Friday. Uh, I I think we're up to uh, 53, 54, something like that. Congratulations! Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah, it changes daily. We're always bringing in new people. So that's why I didn't have an exact number. That's so great. Um, I've heard, uh, I only heard one other person. I think I only heard one other person literally say, don't be afraid to ask questions and find people. That oh, really? And it was also a woman. So, you know, oh. and I wonder if that has yeah. anything to do with it, but maybe not, but it could. So out of the out of all the podcasts I've done, I've only talked to a couple of women founders as well because I think it's just less. Oh really? Yeah, I think there are more men entrepreneurs still out there, for sure. And look, I mean, you you and I can guess, but you know, there's lots of data out there that show that women are not afraid to sort of admit what they don't know. And frankly, I think that's been a benefit. Yes. And I think that's a benefit in general when you're thinking about yeah. managing any kind of company. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's definitely something that's very useful is just being, yeah. I don't know this. Anything else you want to share but with people who might be listening on a, from an entrepreneur standpoint, like advice on how to go about any of the things that you did or mistakes that you made that you could say, do not do this. I did it. I'm telling you not to do it. Well, I don't know how long this podcast is, but I do have to fill an hour with that kind of stuff because I've made lots of mistakes. I would say one is um, certainly, you know, know what you don't know and then and then hire around. I would say another one is, you know, look, I think you have to be super clear about what rules you're going to follow and which rules you're going to break, right? Like there's a lot of conventional wisdom in any industry that is conventional wisdom because it's a smart thing to do makes perfect sense right and you have to listen to that right because you can't you can't come in and blow everything up and I did I I did listen to a lot of conventional wisdom but I also did a lot of things differently and I I broke a lot of rules and I disrupted a lot of conventional thinking and you know I did that because if you just mimic what everyone else does then what are you really bringing to the table then you're not a disruptor you're not you're you're not really an entrepreneur you're a fast follower mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but if you really want to do things differently you have to do things differently in every sense of the word and it doesn't have to be in every part of your business 
but pick the three or four things and where you are going to break with the rest of the industry, because that is ultimately what is going to set you apart. Some of them may work, some of them may not work, and that's okay. Uh, but, you know, um, I think taking those risks are really important. We, I've taken a lot of risks. Some of them have paid off in spades. Some of them were not so great. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you don't get a lot from being in the middle of the road. That's right. That's right. And you went into a really conventional industry, too. I mean, the grocery industry, the retailers are still way behind in technology and the way they do business and the way you get in there. I mean, it's still very old school. It is. It is stunning to me. It was a a huge realization for me. I did not expect to see that. Uh, And I have some, you know, funny stories to tell, certainly. And and actually, you know, not a lot of female decision makers, particularly in manufacturing, I will say. Uh, Manufacturing is far too few women, but you're seeing now more, there are a lot of huge buyers that are women now, but it is, um, it's not quite as evolved as some other industries, but it's getting there. And I think people are trying and it's getting, you know, look, I think the pandemic changed a lot of things. Right. Um, And frankly, I think for the better, Uh, a lot of them for the better, at least as it relates to the industry. Um, you know, uh, nobody knew you couldn't, you know, that there was going to be a shortage of trucks because everyone was buying toilet paper. Okay. So how can we prepare that for next time? That kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty incredible. So what's next for you? Sleep sounds good. No, uh, what is, (laughs) what is next for me? So, uh, we have lots of innovation. Uh, we just announced recently that we have, um, uh, made our, our, our pizza stone fired, which is really exciting. So during 2020, a lot of innovation for a lot of the big companies stopped because they were just trying to handle supply chain and operations and what have you, but we doubled down on innovation. So in 2020, we were, we would just double down on innovation. And as a result, we now have our stone fired pizzas. We now have our pasta, which is so great. Uh, we're very excited about. We launched our rice cups during the pan- March of 2020. Not such great timing, but uh, now those are rolling out far more widely. And we have about three more innovations to announce in the rest of this year. So lots of innovation. We're very excited about. You know, we also give a percentage of our sales to help build teaching gardens in underserved schools across the country. So we're seeing a huge uptick in interest. In building those teaching gardens, you know, schools were so hard hit during the pandemic. And as a result, lots of kids went without the school lunches and without meals. And I would say that I think one silver lining out of the pandemic is people really recognize the huge issue of food insecurity in this country. It was always a problem. The pandemic didn't make it a problem. It was a problem long before that. But it raised everyone's awareness to it. And so we as a company, you know, we'll we'll certainly strive to build a a lot more teaching gardens. That's fantastic. I mean, it's really good work that you guys are doing. And it's so exciting. And I have to say, I want to ask you one more question. Yeah. I think this is really important. You have have amazing energy. Amazing. Do you always have that kind of energy? And how important is it as (laughs) as an entrepreneur? How important is being able to stay at a high level from an energy perspective? You know, it's funny. I I guess I'm going to answer that question looking backwards. 
And that is when I think about my last few years in corporate America, I think that the factor that made me realize it was time to go was that I stopped caring. Yeah. I just didn't care anymore. I just didn't care who won this account or where. Or, it's the worst or, feeling too. Yeah, it's the worst feeling not to care. And I just wanted to care about something. And, you know, if you do have a sense of energy from me, I think it's what you're witnessing is I care so much. I care so much about what people eat. I care so much about our brand. I care so much about our employees. I care so much that of, of the, the, the tiny little impact we can have in the world. And that is energizing. That is so energizing that it just keeps me going. And as I said, I can't wait to get up in the morning. Amazing. That's so great. Thank you so much for your time. I think this is phenomenal. I think so many people are going to get such good advice from this and be inspired by it, which is the whole point of what we're doing. So thank you for your well, time. I love that. Thank you so much. And if they if, if they don't get inspiration, maybe they can at least get a free pizza because I'm happy to offer that as well. Yeah. Why don't you talk about that for a second? So you talked about coupons. Yeah. If anyone would have hasn't tried Cauliflower or loves Cauliflower and just wants a free coupon, and just because you've been so nice, Christy, um, to um, I, I'd like to offer anyone who listens a coupon for a free product. All you have to do is direct message at Cauliflower on any one of our social channels and mention Irresistible Factor, and we will send that coupon for a free product your way. Awesome, and I'll also include that in the blog too. Perfect. Perfect, thank you so much, Gail. So what a pleasure to speak with you.